0: Imagine a world where fantasy sports lives forever. No season-to-season stuff, no hiatus, no breaks, no deleting the app because you lost in the finals by .5 points because of a kicker. In this episode, we got you. My special guest is gonna give you the ins and outs of Dynasty Fantasy Basketball. Welcome to the Believe in Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The weekly show dedicated to helping fantasy managers like you crush your league and bring home multiple championships. Now, your host, Robin Marks. We believe every NBA fan that plays fantasy football should also play fantasy basketball. The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available, at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to BetOnline today, and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. I am so excited about having Noah Rubin on the show. He's going to break down Dynasty for us. He has worked for Roto World for the past two years now, and he's the host of the Tank Me Later podcast with a focus on Dynasty fantasy basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah Rubin.
1: Robin, my man, thank you so much for having me back on. I think this is appearance number two, definitely more coming up in the future. Uh, and really excited to talk about something I spend entirely way too much time reading about, talking about, and just doing instead of other more productive things. Dynasty
0: life. People look at us, Dynasty players, is like, listen, you guys are committed. <laughs> if you could do this year-round, you are committed. Oh, so I'm happy to be able to have this discussion. And I think so often, Noah, when I see content around Dynasty, it picks up from a place where people already know what it is right so i get a lot of comments from people who are like what are you talking about so just to start off could you give us like a quick and dirty breakdown of what is dynasty fantasy basketball
1: yeah man absolutely it's uh you know everybody just sticks to redraft for the most part everybody does that um it's kind of the the gateway into playing in uh, more dynasty leagues i think if you just hear somebody say, oh, I play this fantasy sport. They don't even know what the word redraft means because that's just kind of, they don't hear that. They just say, okay, I'm just going to play this league. That's the only option, right? But dynasty leagues are where you're keeping your team and you're trying to run it as close to a actual franchise as possible, whether it's fantasy football, baseball, basketball. You're trying to run your organization as better than probably uh, your favorite team does. So you're starting up with a draft and then you're just going to, keep these players until you trade them or they retire. It's uh, you can get as complex as you want with it. You can add in salaries and contracts and whatever, but the basic form of dynasty is you're drafting players and you're keeping them until you move on from them. And then during the summers, the off seasons uh, you're drafting in new rookies and young guys end up having a lot more value in dynasty leagues than they do in redraft.
0: Yep. And I find, too, that for a dynasty player, it's really cool because it's almost like year-round action, right? So it's like you're paying more attention to what's happening with, you know, the new prospects coming in. Some, some leagues even allow you to, like, do trades and stuff, you know, in the offseason. So talk to fantasy managers about getting into dynasty fantasy basketball and what makes the experience different than doing, like, a redraft league, daily fantasy, and other formats.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's, it's more fun for me because it's, it's long-term investments, right? You're, you're buying in on the players that you like the ones that you know, it's like, okay, no, I know that I'm right about this guy. I don't care what anybody else says. He's going to be a star and you're investing in that player and keeping them around until they reach that, you know, elite value. If you look at a guy like Lowry Markinen, you know, I, what was last year for him, year seven or eight, maybe somebody coming out said, man. Larry market is going to be a star. He's my favorite player. I'm not giving up on him, drafting him and probably pretty disappointing for the first six or so years. And then boom, all of a sudden top 25 player. And it's like, it's that, that gratification, that reward of investing in a young guy and having them actually pan out. Now, obviously it's not the same investment that an NBA team is putting into a guy because you can't actually put them through more intense workouts. And, invest in them uh, the way that an nba team can but you can keep them around and just truly believe in them which is a ton of fun um and you know it's something uh like you said it's a year-round demand it's it does it's very demanding in comparison to a redraft league where you have your team for three months or i guess the nba season is longer than three months what am i saying but five or six months and then you're uh, probably not worried about it again until the next year and you're catching up on all the fantasy analysts to see, okay, who should I draft in my draft? And then uh cycle starts over. But with dynasty, you keep these guys, you keep them forever. Um, and you, you pay attention all year round during the summer. Like you said, trades during the summer are very fun. You know, a v- like a, a random news update there's once a week during the summer at times. It feels like that's the only time, especially in like late July and August and saying, Oh, this player is, I don't know gain 15 pounds of muscle and you're like oh man like he's about to pop off like let me go trade for him now before everybody else figures this out so it's very demanding but you just naturally want to become more committed and more invested in the NBA. which i'm already doing this anyway like even before i was working in fantasy basketball i was keeping up with the NBA like a sicko so now it's okay i'm gonna be in taking all this uh time that like i said i waste on the NBA and actually turning it into something useful, so it's uh, you definitely have to be a, kind of a try hard with uh, dynasty leagues to be successful. But man, there's nothing quite like it.
0: Mm, mm, tell me about it. So I, I always share this story. I had a, a <laughs> my home league, right? Me and my guys. It's a small league. It's an eight man league, so everyone's got a stack roster, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my my boys drafted Luka Doncic his rookie year, right? And, you know, Luca wasn't, like, averaging 25. He was averaging, like, 17, 18 points a game. Pretty modest, but good. Him and Trey were, like, both Mm -hmm. looking like they were going to be really, really good fantasy options for the future. I saw Luca play, Noah, with the eye test. And when I I tell you he looked like that kid in the AAU tournament who's, like, dribbling circles around kids, just his change of speed, change of pace, change of speed, I was like, he's going to be awesome. So I sent him, like... (laughs) I want to say DeMar DeRozan, who at the time was crushing Lucas yeah. numbers, right? And I threw him another piece too, like a two for one. I was like, I just got to have the kid. Like he was like, really? He sent it over. And to this day, it haunts him.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I believe it. That's uh it's it's fun for me to look back. I've, I've messaged a few different people that have kind of that data saying like, hey, can you send me like earlier drafts? Because I started playing, uh 2019. So Zion and Ja were rookies was the first time I did a dynasty startup. So I haven't been doing it for a super long time. Um but I just I like looking back at drafts and trades like that because that's man, that's crazy. I'll as we get into some of this, I'll I'll share some uh some of the trades that I've definitely really messed up on. Um one in particular that my goodness was bad, but uh things like that where you're trying to change your team direction and or you're drafting Uh, during your startup and guys go so late that when you look back, even a year later, or sometimes five years later, and you're like, man, how did that trade go through? Or how did you get that person in the 11th round? Like, that's ridiculous. They're going second round today. So we'll get into some examples of that. But that's that's an awesome story. I love that.
0: Yep. So let's talk about the guy who says that, all right, you convinced me, I'm going to get into a dynasty league, or I'm going to ask my commissioner to make us a, a bigger keeper league. Um, talk to me about long-term player value and how and how crucial that is. And how do you assess and project the player's future potential? And what factors do you consider?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it was an exact science, then I think we'd have a, a lot more teams with being successful in the draft. But there's definitely a lot of factors uh, that you can look at and try and use, whether it be advanced stats or just going kind of off your own personal eye test. I think that's what separates uh dynasty winners from dynasty losers at times uh, if you kind of go off of your own personal biases everybody can look at different dynasty analysts and there's a number of them that do incredible work and see okay if i just use these rankings like these this is how our league should shake out but if you kind of veer off the path and go with what you believe in then that ends up helping you or hurting you just kind of depends on uh how good you are at what you do and I think that's what makes a a dynasty player great is how um when they're able to project players on their own and you know looking at advanced stats uh is a good one because your numbers in like small sample sizes when players are young so if you look at not necessarily per 36 minutes but a lot of the ones i look at like assist percentage steal percentage block percentage that's how like the percentage of possessions that they're on the floor that they come away with a certain stat, whether it be assists, steals, blocks. Those are probably uh some of the big ones. Some of the other ones get a little wonky when you look at the actual uh I guess details behind it. But um, like I know for example, Walker Kessler had an absolutely insane block percentage in college and then came into the NBA and had an absolutely insane block percentage as a rookie. And Oh gosh, I think he went, I'm trying to remember my my own uh, home league rookie draft. He went pretty late, like kind of later second round, maybe mid second round. And he's a guy that's now probably top five from that class, I'd say like very easily top five. So looking at some advanced numbers like that situation's important, but it's not forever. I mean, players, situations change every few months. I mean, whether it be a trade, a free agent signing, an injury, uh, or just earning a role. I think there's a lot of you're kind of considering everything in dynasty which is the beauty of it because if if you're looking at like the thunder okay like they're ready to win now whereas 2 years ago they were still in their rebuilding phase so they were more likely to give young guys minutes and you can expand on that opportunity whereas now they're looking more to win now so there may not be as many minutes for a rookie like Case Wallace or if Usman Ding hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, If he isn't playing well to start the season, he may be left on the bench in order for them to focus on winning now, because that's kind of where their team direction is at. Uh, Player age is important because if a guy is on a team that's looking to win now and they're 19, they may have to sit the bench for a few years. You're wearing your Hawk stuff. I'm wearing my Hawk stuff. You can look at coaches. Nate McMillan was not going to play rookies. They had Jalen Johnson playing in the G League his entire rookie season. AJ Griffin was able to play a little bit more than that during his rookie season, but like you have to really, it's in depth. You can look at everything as an individual factor. Um, A guy like Tom Thibodeau is a a fun coach to look at as well, because you know, he's going to play probably six guys, 36 minutes per game, which got really frustrating with Obi Toppin, but now he has a better opportunity. That's an example of opportunities changing for players really quickly. So all that long summary to say you have to look at literally everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you look at? Uh, everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah.
1: No, I mean yeah, that's that's some examples, it. but man, it's everything.
0: I get it, man. Well, um, I have uh, a couple of guys in in one of my leagues. Well, actually, th- two or three of them who are like who have been rebuilding since we started. Right. <laughs> so, talk to me about. Uh, establishing a balance between stars and young talents, like rebuilding and actually playing for the championship now. And, you know, just about getting success and long-term grow- growth with that balance between young and old.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, the strategy that I take kind of depends on who I'm playing with. So when I'm playing with my home league and I know everybody there is okay, like they're in it for the long haul. Like they're not going to disband the league after a year or two, like, we're going to be doing this for a long time. I went through a very, very slow rebuild process. Now I have a very, very good team and still have future draft capital. Um, So that's okay. But generally speaking, um, you're going to try and do both during your startup draft. You're probably not going to immediately commit, or it's probably not the smartest strategy to uh, to immediately commit to either rebuilding or just going all in on winning now because – if you're just going all in and winning now, you have an older team. Uh, sure, you'll be very competitive for a few seasons, but just like that, a few injuries and players retiring, and you have to start over from square one. And if you've traded away all your draft picks, then you have to go through a very slow rebuild that's not as much fun because you don't have these young players to watch. But if you go and try and rebuild immediately, then you know what happens if uh, you started this dynasty league with random people or people that you've met um, through different fantasy resources. And then some players quit and all of a sudden this league gets disbanded and you were so excited because you had 12 firsts over the next two seasons. Like your team was going to be stacked, but now it means nothing. So you're going to want to go in and try and keep it balanced. So what I think the best strategy to do is honestly zig when others zag. So if other people are going with young players early, then you may want to go a little bit more, with uh, some more win now guys earlier on. And then later in the draft, take some upside swings on younger guys. However, if in your startup draft, people are trying to just win now early on, then maybe it's best to go younger early and later on get some of those not very fun, older, but still serviceable guys. Um, like a guy like an Al Horford goes very late, like outside the t- like first 250 picks in a dynasty startup and he can provide some solid value, keep you a little bit competitive um, while you're also having rookies. Like Harrison Barnes goes incredibly late. He's not a fun guy. You don't really want him in a redraft league, but he can be serviceable while your young guys are developing. So you you need to kind of zig when others zag, but uh, I think ideally you're going to want to go younger early, try and secure your future stars, the guys that are going to be really good for the next 10 to 15 years, and then later in the draft probably get a few more role players per se, like guys that can provide some value early, uh, but may not last as long. And then by the end of the draft, man, take those upside swings. Take that guy that went late in the second round of the draft last year. And you have no idea if he's ever going to play an NBA game, but you like him for some reason. I do that. I do that a lot. I end up taking guys that are probably not going to ever do anything, but I like them for some reason. So it's a zigging when others zag is probably the best way to sum that up.
0: I like that. And one thing that I like to do is stash injured players, especially <laughs> in Dynasty, right? So I'm like I'm like the cleanup man, like the scraps off the table that people are like, "Nah, like whatever." Uh, I'm I'm that guy, right? And also I'm I'm infamous for like making uh, bold offers. For injured, uh, for young injured players, for example, Chet Holmgren, I sent like a pretty, I don't remember what I traded him, how I got him, but I got him like at the beginning of last year, let him sit there, no one cared, no one thought about him, and now he's going to be playing this year. So my question is, how do you handle injuries and roster adjustments in Dynasty Leagues, considering the long-term nature of the format?
1: Yeah, I think uh, how the teams are approaching the injuries as well is very important, um i think probably the biggest example of that right now is a guy like lonzo ball who it it seems like man he, when does the last time he played it's it's coming up um almost two years since the last time he played he's gonna be out all of this season so it's like how much value does he have like when he plays the top 50 player but he hasn't played in two years so a guy like that is a great buy low i mean worst case scenario The manager in your in your league that has him might say, "Hmm, he might never play basketball again. Like that's a very real possibility. Why not send a late round pick for him? If if not, you just gave up probably a a a future G League All Star that's probably potentially may never play in the NBA aside from on a two way a couple games, and you're getting a a guy that may not play but still has a ton of upside. Chet Holmgren's a great example. I think if you're playing in leagues with. Uh, that are really competitive, then I think everybody's kind of was under the, the same understanding that Chet was going to be a star the moment he played. But I know people in my home league that were saying, yeah, no, Chet, his body's just not built for the NBA. Like he's never going to have any success. Unfortunately, the guy that has him didn't trade him to me, but I tried. Um, Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking for those opportunities to buy low, but, a lot of the times when you're playing in dynasty leagues, these are the sickos. These are the really competitive people that pay attention to everything every day. And they're also seeing the same information saying, okay, yeah, no, this player, if they play or when they play, they're going to be incredible. And they're keeping up with the news updates as well. So you're not going to see a random Lonzo ball news update that says, no, he actually might play at the end of this season and be able to, okay, cool. Let me go ahead and get this trade offer in real quick, because the season after that, he should be back in full strength because, the managers in your dynasty league are probably keeping up with that as well. I think it's more likely to take advantage of that in your home league uh, than if you're playing in a, a competitive high money league um, with other dynasty addicts. But there's a, there's opportunity that can be had when when managers stop believing in their players.
0: Yep. So when we talk about finding those rookies and finding those young players... What tools or systems, What? how would you recommend for new Dynasty managers to approach scouting, drafting uh, young players, and developing that young talent for, for the future?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of resources you can use. Uh, I know I've talked with some Dynasty analysts, and I think we're actually starting our draft tonight. We're doing a college basketball fantasy league, so we've all said we're not putting anybody down. This is just for us to do some scouting. Uh, just to get an idea of what these players look like. So I think that's something that I've done with fantasy football as well, uh, that one of my friends suggested, like, hey, let's just do this just so we can kind of start taking a look at prospects because rookies do play such a significant role and get it in drafting well is how you succeed for a long time in dynasty. Like your your startup draft's important, but making trades after that and participating in your rookie draft and killing that is really how you have success in dynasty formats. Uh, The startup draft... I mean, your entire roster is going to be different within two years if it's a really uh, competitive league or an active league. I guess what I'm trying to say, but um, also looking at just draft sites. Like, there's a lot of guys that just focus on uh, scouting, not for fantasy. That I think are it's a very important resource. Um, no ceilings is a really good Twitter account that I follow. I know there's others I follow that do great work as well, but we were talking about them earlier in that, in, uh, with some of the dynasty analysts saying that they do really good work. They've already started working on the 2024 draft, like probably the the day after the 2023 draft, um, and focusing on some of those prospects. So getting an understanding of what these prospects look like, how they can impact NBA teams, because another thing is. Okay. You look at their numbers in college and this player averaged. 28 points per game. You're like, there's no way that he's bad in the NBA, but he's 24 years old doing that against 19 year olds. Well, okay, maybe his role isn't going to be as big, or, you know, he's putting up numbers, but everybody's just saying he's just not very good. Like, you just can't believe that this guy that averaged 25 a game is going or projected to go in the second round. And, you know, their numbers are great when they were on the court, but they're probably not just going to be able to make it on the court in the NBA. So having an understanding of who's actually good at basketball and not just good for fantasy basketball, because that's how they get on the court. And as good as they'd be for fantasy, you look at a guy like uh, Alexei Pokusevsky, goodness gracious, Uh, Poku, we'll go with Poku from the Thunder, fantasy superstar when he's on the court. He's been kind of derailed by injuries a little bit, but, you know, now it's even when he's healthy, that team is too stacked. He's probably not going to be good enough to be on the floor, Looking at situations like that uh, where players may have good fantasy skill sets but just aren't very good at basketball, that's something to also consider. So looking at fantasy projections, looking at just general basketball projections, like both are vital to try and uh, scout well.
0: Mm, Very good. Those are some nuggets right there, man those are some nuggets so sometimes in dynasty leagues especially people who are new right so new managers and also new uh new league commissioners right Trades go out and people are like, no, what are you doing? You can't do that. And someone on the other side of the table might be like, no, you don't understand. He's a young player. I'm banking on upside, like approve my trade. And then there's some drama might brew. So talk to me about some trade best practices in Dynasty and talk to the League managers. I mean, the the Dynasty League manager about that, like making those decisions to make sure that things stay fair. And balanced, and but also you can respect the fact that this is different than redraft.
1: Definitely, I think we uh, last time I was on here we talked about trade vetoes as well. So I'll start with that. Uh, there's nothing more frustrating than getting your trade vetoed. I think the only reason that there should be a veto is if it's obvious collusion, um, which you know it's frustrating, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. I don't know. It's hard to even point out what collusion is in Dynasty because somebody just maybe really, really wants their guy. Like There has to be like text text message evidence saying, hey, I'm going to give you all my players and then I'm leaving. I'm done with this. That's collusion. But it's like in Dynasty, I can give you all my good players and you give me all your draft picks and it's a fair trade because you're going to be really good. I'm going to be really bad, but in five years, I'm going to be really good. So it's hard to really pinpoint what is – a bad trade in dynasty i think the only time other than obvious collusion that there should be a veto in a dynasty league is if say it's a 12 team league and 11 10 or 11 of these guys have done this before and there's just one or two new guys and everybody that's done this before is just taking all the assets from the from the guys who have done this they're like what am i going to do with a first round draft pick here yeah take it i'd rather have a 11th round producer like whatever bring it here and then all of a sudden this team ha- is stacked and has all the first from the guys who have no idea what they're doing okay then maybe we can say hey like let's not do that let's, let's let them figure things out a little bit before we start taking advantage of them uh taking all their trade assets but if you're looking at a redraft league some of the things you consider are you know positions or punt strategies like if somebody's punting blocks then, and they have a guy that is a good shot blocker, like, Hey, like, let me get them. I'll give you this because that'll help you a little bit more. Um, those are also things that you can consider in dynasty, but you're also looking at individual team directions. So somebody that is trying to rebuild and you're offering them LeBron for somebody and like by value, maybe LeBron has a, a lot more value than this other guy and a pick, but they're not going to be able to win for the next three years. Who knows if LeBron's going to be playing. I mean, with with LeBron, maybe he is, but uh, by the time they're ready to compete, LeBron might be on uh, his last season. So just because a value looks okay, you have to consider the other team's direction as well. They may not want to trade away their first round pick this year. If they are already starting off the season two and six, like that just might not happen because they want to get uh, the rewards from that good pick. So uh, understanding what each team is trying to do, I think helps a lot, but I think this this was going to be my bad example of the worst trade I've ever made, um, is, you know, you have to understand your team direction, but you also don't want to give up too much value just because it fits your direction. So when I was doing my home league, uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was like our first full year of it. And I, and my startup, Uh, had the fourth pick and went Jokic. This was 2019. So it was before he was fantasy superstar. He was just really like elite fantasy player. So he went fourth. He just wasn't, you know, number one. And uh, as the season went on, there was like two teams that were better. I was like, cool. I'm not going to win the championship. I'm going to just tank. It's more fun. I like tanking. Cool. I'm like texting all my friends like, hey, like, let me, uh, I'll give you this player for a first. And I had a bunch of guys on my team that like, if I would have just held on for like two years, like, I would have had the best team by far. And I traded Jokic and DeJounte Murray, who wasn't that good at the time, for like three firsts in a 12-team league. And they were like late firsts. And I'm like looking back on that, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I was like Jokic and like a throw-in. Like that's what it was kind of like. Like I like, okay, DeJounte has some upside. He wants DeJounte. But I don't really know how good he's going to be. And like two years later, he's a top 10 fantasy player. He's not like that anymore. But I'm like, looking back, I'm like, Mm, if I would have just held on to at least Dejante, and Mm. I mean, obviously hanging on to Jokic as well, big mistake there, but yeah. So understanding that mm, maybe not everything makes sense, even if you're trying to force a a direction there. Um, Rebuild with caution, I think is my uh, lesson to be learned from that because I love throwing away all my players, getting a bunch of picks, and just, let's start from scratch. Let's have everybody be 21 and, and younger and have 18 first for the next four seasons, and let's just have fun with this. But then sometimes Man. things like that happen. <laughs> Man, that is gut-wrenching. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I look back, I'm like, I, I say I made I Dynasty Analysts and I made this trade. Like, I, yeah, don't yeah, deserve, yeah. <laughs> I don't deserve this title. This is ridiculous. You know the funny thing that I – you know I'll share another
0: one with you that made me think about it. Um, but one thing that I do, especially after the trade is fresh and i and I regret it, it's almost like looking at your ex-girlfriend on Facebook, you're just like, <laughs> you're like scrolling. you're like, what did she do tonight? Oh, he had twenty five. That's not too bad. Like good. the guy I got did thirty. Then you check the next day. Oh, he did seventy five fantasy points. Okay, (laughs) you know, so um, this same guy, so this is part two of that same story, you know. (laughs) So this same guy who I got for Luca, I got him. And he had to live with that for a couple of years. I got really high on Evan Mobley. Like, I got so high on Evan Mobley. I was like, I'm still high on Evan Mobley, but this was like next level. I was like, okay, what can I do for Mobley? He's like, you know, I don't know, like, give me some young stars. I was like, I got Giddy and I'll give you Halliburton too. This is Halliburton was good. He was like a rookie. He was pretty good. He wasn't what he is now. Uh Uh-uh. You know? And I gave him Halliburton. At the time, I was like, yes, like I got it. You know, all good. He got traded, whatever, and now he's a first round guy. So I look back and I'm like, I got him for Luca, but he got me back. So it kind of, you know, it works out like. It works out sometimes we're balanced, but I'm the one who took the recent hit, so I, I still have to live with that. So it's all fun. You got to uh, get him
1: back, man. You got
0: I to. know, I know. And <laughs> you know, he's 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 a he's a a viewer. He checks out the program. So professor, I'm on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on your ass, dog. No. Nah. Um <laughs> so Next question, and I want to I want to I want you got I want you to share some some targets with the audience today. So like some people if they're in dynasty leagues, they can they can focus on, but before we do that, I know that it's hard to keep people active in a dynasty league. So what tips do you have for league members and also league managers on keeping the environment engaged and motivated to go not just season to season, but for years and years?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do because even with people that are really committed to it, like there's times where there's lapses and you're like, eh, just, you know, I need a mental break or I'm just, it's not as much fun right now, but there's definitely things you can do. Uh, One of the things that I'm trying to do now uh, in the league that I just started, um, I got this from NBA Dynasty Prospects on Twitter at Ops Watching. He talks about jackpotting the uh, prize at the end of the year. So you pay say it's a $10 buy-in, 12-team league. Okay, instead of the winner getting 110 or 120, they get like 20, and then you put the $100 in a jackpot. And then you add that in every year, in order to get from that pot, you have to win two in a row and really become a quote-unquote dynasty. So if it takes 10 years, I mean, sure, you know, nobody goes back to back. You know the stakes that are going to be like, it's a $10 buy-in with $1,000 on the line. Like the stakes are just higher and higher. So everybody's like, okay, like, I know I've been rebuilding, but like I need to kind of go all in the next two years because if I win back to back, like that's mine for a $10 buy in. So I think that's something that's, uh, I'm hoping will get to work out because in, in the league that I just started, uh, people were saying, well, like, what if nobody does it for like, t- like five, 10 years? Like, can we like do something where if it's nobody does it for five years, and we pay it back out? I'm like, that's fair. We're all putting money in. It's a 30 team league um, and we're all strangers because it was just like, hey, like I put it out on Twitter. Um, I think it works a lot better with a home league. Um, and this, the other thing that I try and do in some of my leagues, um, I think I'm going to try and be better about it this year and doing it in, um, both, the, I guess I commissioned two fantasy dynasty leagues, uh, for basketball, trying to be, uh, like do content creation in your own league. I think it's so fun, uh, when either guys that I've been in leagues with or doing it myself, um you know, I had one friend in my home dynasty football league that would write a weekly column on what happened. Um, I have another friend who in our home league on Wednesday nights hosts his power ranking show for 30 minutes. And he goes through his league manager power rankings. Uh, what was the, the best start of the week? The worst start of the week? It's, it's more fun lingo, but I won't say it. Um, and then, uh, oh, what's the other thing that he does? Oh, well, we just kind of, it's like kind of like a, a league town hall session. It's like, quote unquote, formal, but it's also very silly. Like he hosts a Q and A at the end. And like, we're just like trying to make each other laugh while trying to stay serious. So things like that, I think are fun um, because, you know, even if you're not super active, like, man, it's fun to like, see somebody write an article about your team specifically, or or host a show and talk about you specifically and how you're doing, like things like that are, are fun. I think it helps motivate people to take it very serious, but I don't know. That's just something that maybe most leagues aren't going to do. But I just think it's really fun to just get creative with it. I mean, heck, you can easily host a league podcast and post it on YouTube or SoundCloud. And anybody that is in the league can just go listen to it. And You can have guests on the podcast. Like, I think having fun with uh, things outside of just what the Dynasty League is in itself is what makes it truly the full experience because you're just okay cool we're drafting players setting my lineup occasionally make trades uh draft and like it gets kind of repetitive it's kind of boring like yes like you're rooting for your guys but i think like you said it's a year-long thing and you're trying to do this forever like come up with ideas experiment have fun things like that are are just very unique and then we wouldn't be able to talk about these bad trades if we didn't keep a record of it. I know that if you're playing in a dynasty league, you're probably using fan tracks. And I believe they just added a feature where you can go back and look at old trades as well. Um, if you play a dynasty on sleeper, that's probably the only other like true dynasty app that I know for fantasy basketball, except they do their, their Pick'em system instead of normal fantasy basketball, uh, which is a little bit different. Um, I host my home league on ESPN because everybody likes the format. Of it, um, in my league, we tried Yahoo for a year, and everybody in my league hated it, which was weird to me. But, um, the app is very smooth for ESPN, even if their projections aren't great and things like that. But we, I host or hold all of our information in a spreadsheet. So draft history, trade history, future draft picks—all of that's in a spreadsheet. So I'm able to look back very quickly, pull up, like, okay, first trade that happened. I was actually because I was pulling it up while we were talking about it. I got Deshante Murray and a first for Victor Oladipo, Goga Batadze, and a second from a Pacers fan that was just loving Oladipo right before he had six injuries in a row. So looking back at that and this four years ago, I I got you in this trade, man. Like, how do you feel? Like, I got DeJounte for you, for Oladipo, who hasn't hardly played since, Goga Batadze, who hasn't done anything, and a second, and you gave me a first. Like, banter like that, I think, is also what keeps it fun. Same thing with normal fantasy basketball. Like, banter makes it fun, but... There's there's a lot of creative things that you can do. Just just try things, man. If if you're going to be doing this forever, just have fun.
0: So, Noah, before we share some dynasty targets with the people at home, talk to me about anything you have coming up, anything you want to promote or talk about uh, before we give them those nuggets.
1: (sighs) Yeah, season's underway, so we don't have any more preseason content to do, which was quite the grind over at Roto World to get through our preseason content and draft guide. But we'll still be doing our player blurbs and pickup of the day column, as well as uh, Zach and I will host our live Q and A at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays, uh, with Fantasy Basketball International hosting the Take Me Later podcast. That's generally speaking every Friday. Um, I've got some guests, some that I've reached out to, some that I haven't, I got a nice list of guys that I want to get on there soon. Robin, I uh, have you on my list. I haven't mentioned it to you, but hopefully, uh, you'll accept that invite soon. Um, and then, so, well, I mean, that'll be dynasty content and some, and redraft as well throughout the season. Um, FBI is growing. There's, we're, uh, starting some other shows. Matt Lawson's going to be doing a weekly dynasty column. We just added Michael Fiddle a couple weeks ago, and he's doing more DFS, Uh, content. So FBI has a, a wide range of, uh, content being produced. I believe there'll be podcasts five days a week. So it should be a very fun season there. And I just started contributing to SportsTopia, which is a kind of a newer startup, uh, mostly for a DFS optimizer. Um, I don't know all the details of that, but I've been doing some, uh, dynasty content, just a weekly dynasty content for them, as well as appearing on a show here and there. Um, but yeah, that's what I've got going on coming up. And lucky for you, uh, we mentioned some Dynasty targets. And I just published uh, my column, Eight Players to Buy in Dynasty Leagues for, uh, for topia Goodness on Monday.
0: Mm, so let's jump into it. Why don't you unpack that for us and share those players with us? And um, I'll get the link from you and post a link to the article in the show notes uh, if you have that available for me, too.
1: Definitely, man. So I got uh, eight targets. Uh, Some of them, if you're playing in dynasty leagues already that have been around a while or with a lot of committed players, you're probably going to look at me and say, well, duh, for some of them. Or yeah, there's no way. Sorry, they go for four firsts in my league. Sorry, we're way too committed. Well, okay, like some leagues, this will actually apply. And some leagues, it's even the committed ones, like it's still the best time to buy in on some of these guys, even if people know what they're doing. Um, the first one is Tyrese Maxey. I think everybody kind of expects him to have a really good season. He's still very young and with no James Harden and no trade to be made anytime soon. It seems like, uh, he'll be the number two option should be in for a really big year. Uh, Devin Vassell just got paid money man, four years, 146 mil. Um, but he's, he's only getting better, man. He's gotten better every single season. There will be more of a spotlight on him this year. I think there already kind of is preseason than there was throughout his first three three years. Um, So if you're if you want him on your team, get him now. Like that's it. It's the price is going to go up. Uh, Anthony Simons, I think. Okay, I actually have it here. Instead of just saying, I think it's like uh, he averaged in 11 games without Dame last year, 27.9 points, 5.7 assists, 4.6 threes. He's probably not going to do that over the course of the full year, but he's going to be a stud this year, and he's still young. One of the most lethal scorers in the NBA that still goes under the radar. Uh, Zach Collins, another spur just signed another extension with the Spurs. They've been really paying their guys Uh well-rounded player provides value in every category, and he's going to be the starting center for at least the next three seasons alongside Wemby. Then they might move Wemby to center, but Zach Collins is going to be very, very good for the next few seasons. And if you can lock him down on your roster for a few years, that's huge. And Kongwu, I think I have two Hawks in here. I do. Cool. Uh, so Anyeka Kongwu and Jalen Johnson. I think Jalen Johnson's kind of a favorite late round target for a lot of analysts now, but such a fantasy friendly game. His role is probably going to expand uh as the year goes on, but he has a lot of hype after a really good preseason. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's a, the starting power forward by next season. Anyeka Kongwu is probably gonna start at center uh soon, not not to start the year. Clint Capella still has that role, but they were trying to trade him this offseason. So love a Kongwu's game um just signed a four-year 62 million dollar extension which was very surprising that it was that low to me um just such an incredible talent and he started shooting threes in the preseason and it wasn't like a, oh like he's trying to expand his range like he was shooting like three or four per game um i think it was through four preseason games he was five for 13. so you know that's like 38 percent ish uh which is very good especially for a center i don't think he's going to be you know, hitting two threes a game like Brooke Lopez or anything like that. But he uh, provides some spacing for Trey Young to operate, which should get him on the floor. And he'll be the starting center getting lobs from Trey Young for a long time. Uh, Jalen Duren uh, is going to be the starting center in Detroit. They have a lot of other guys, but Jalen Duran is by far the best. And he's still 19 years old, traditional center stat step, but he was, shooting some pull-up uh, mid-ranges during Summer League and hit hit a couple threes. So a lot of upside there um, and should be there for a really long time. And then last guy that maybe isn't going to break out this year, ne- maybe next year is more realistic, but Dyson Daniels is going to see a larger role for the Pelicans with Jose Alvarado injured to start the year. Very fantasy-friendly skill set. Think like Josh Giddey-esque. Uh, probably not quite as good. Um, and a little bit more defensively. But he's going to be the starting center in New Orleans at some point. It may take a few seasons, but getting him now before he really gets on the court a ton has a chance to show just how good he is. It's uh, it's better to get him now rather than later.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Believe in Fantasy Basketball Podcast with Robin Marks. Join our free Discord community at believeinfantasy.com. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Believe in Fantasy. This episode was presented to you by BetOnline, where the game starts.